All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Eat, Pray, Judge. And uh, today's a really exciting episode because we get to talk about um, my favorite genre of films, which is horror movies. Uh, if you don't recognize me yet by the dulcet tones of my voice, it's Gabe Pacheco. And joined as always by my co-host, the one and only. Sammy Hamarne. It's very, it's very formal. How do you do? Uh, feeling wonderful today. Thank you for asking, Sammy. It's my and, pleasure. Uh, on third mic today, we have uh, the very funny and our neighbor in Greenpoint, the one and only Joan Glacken. Hi, Sammy, you sounded so disappointed to have to introduce yourself. You're like, Sammy, I guess. Sometimes it just loses the meaning after 95 episodes, you know? You're like, what's in a name? Am I right? Yeah, exactly. Who are we? Where are we going? We're going to get into it. Uh, Joan, thank you for uh, picking the film we're going to talk about today. Uh, Scream. Scream. came out in 1996 and usually we talk about the year 1996 and all of the social context around when this film sort of came out but today uh i just wanted to talk about horror movies in general oh yeah and uh 96 was a was a year that this is a watershed year because scream is seen as such a like um a revolutionary film in the genre Mm -hmm. but also coming out that year was a movie that Sammy and I already covered, The Craft. Oh, The Craft did come out that year. Yeah, another Skeet Ulrich banger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking in, I was, I mean, we'll get into it, but I was looking at like the actors in this movie and prep for this and like what they did and stuff. Skeet Ulrich is on Riverdale. Did you know this? No. I was like, has he ever done anything else again? And he's just apparently like, still his exact same like dime store Johnny Depp (laughs) like team. (laughs) That's a very good way to put that dude. Yeah. Yeah. I was like delighted to see that he was in Riverdale just so on brand. (laughs) And uh, I once told an actor friend of mine years ago in the 90s that I was like you could be like a Skeet Ulrich type and then he didn't really know how to take that. I mean, I meant it in a positive way. I just didn't right. foreshadowing, yeah. I guess. It could be it's it could be a low-key diss. Who knows? <laughs> it might be. <laughs> I don't know what Riverdale is. It's that um it's it's that CW like teen show that is well, that uh, explains it. Right. <laughs> yeah. But based on the Archie comics. Oh oh no kidding. Yeah, but it's like high drama something like that got it i've also never seen scream before so this is like a, an eye-opening experience for me really exciting cannot wait to hear <laughs> your take <laughs> <laughs> yeah and uh well the craft was kind of like higher tier for what what came out that year in terms of horror and yet i don't yeah. think of the craft as uh extreme horror it feels like a teen coming of age type movie like we already talked yeah, about definitely. it yeah definitely and i mean uh, do you yeah. Sammy. Do you see this movie as extreme horror? Uh, closer to it. Closer than the craft, I think. Yeah. Because of the body count. Well, also, it's so like follows the 
trope that it's talking about like just formulaically it is a slasher film you Mm -hmm. know it's got more thrills and chills for sure roller coaster dips (laughs) the craft is like a little spooky but it's also just so much fun and like badass and And then uh along with that we're seeing here's here's some bad uncle sam a movie about a monster uncle sam I'm looking at this list of 96 horror mo- movies and just it's a, it's a sad list. Uh, it's like a, a lot of sequels, Trilogy of Terror 2, that sounds fun because it's a trilogy but it's the second one. What's happening? You've got Amityville Dollhouse, which is apparently some sort of uh, plan on <laughs> Amityville horror slash Annabelle <laughs> mashup, I assume. Stephen uh, King's uh, worst worst movie, Thinner. Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah, English. rough year for horror. Right. Lawnmower Man 2, Tremors 2, <laughs> Island of Love Dr. Moreau. <laughs> Vampirella? Uh-huh. It, it seems like they were just struggling to fit things into the horror category at that point. Well, they and just had a formula and were just like barfing them out, <laughs> like 20 of them a year, the exact same film. Exactly. And there's one uh, one other sort of barfing. light that I wanted to bring up um, from this era that uh-huh. I think is a kindred spirit to Scream, but isn't talked about in the same conversation, which is Dusk Till Dawn. Mm-hmm. Dusk mm. Till Dawn came out uh, this year that? as well. Oh, it was this year, huh? And also, the the ghost in the darkness, the uh, the lion movie, the lion that terrorizes like a West African village. I don't I know don't how that. Know that one. Yeah, yeah. There's, a, there's a reason for that. Right. Sure. But uh, the reason I brought yeah, up Dust Dust Till Dawn, Dawn interesting. is because uh, I think Tarantino was doing the same thing with like Grindhouse movies that Wes Craven was doing with Scream. I was gonna say, is this? Was Dust Till Dawn, bef- that was before, uh, what's it, Space Death Proof, right? Yes. But kind of in the same vein. Yeah, Death Proof was 2000 something. But yeah, that was sort of in the same vein of, of Tarantino doing those grindhouse films. Like remixing and like mm-hmm. playing with the formulas and uh, right. resurrecting, like uh, breathing new life into like genres from the 70s. Right. Which I love Death Proof so much because it is like, for the first three quarters of it, not to spoil Death Proof, but for the first three quarters of it, it is like the grindhouse kind of exploitative, like torture porn, girls just dying left and right, and it's scary. And then the last quarter of the movie, it just like completely flips it on its head. And I, I fucking love that movie. Yeah. It's really fun. Uh, well, I wanted to. So, Joan, what is your relationship to horror movies? I really love them. So I was thinking about this. Scream is actually the first horror movie I've ever seen. And as we'll talk about, I'm sure it like really breaks down the tropes and like comments on like the cliches of horror movies while also falling into that category. But I saw it when I was like 10 or 11 at my friend Allie's house. It like never would have been on in my house. It was just on in the background and like me and her and her older brother just sat down and watched it. And I always had this kind of like macabre fascination with horror films, even like from a young age. Like I remember go- physically 
going into a blockbuster and like we were all you know spread out all the kids like picking out a movie and I would always like do each time like a walk down the horror aisle like making sure my mom wasn't nearby so she didn't know that I was checking I was like oh what's over here this is the horror aisle I didn't know but like I would get these you know the um the covers like so in my head and like my I like these ideas of what these movies were that I was like so freaked out by but also like couldn't not look you know and then the scream <laughs> was kind of like my first actual peek inside of the covers of those boxes and what <laughs> movies actually were and then as I started you know getting older and watching more horror movies and going back and watching Scream I always like got I was more and more in on the joke you know what I mean hell yeah which is why so I love it so much Scream is like the Rosetta Stone of yeah, other exactly. <laughs> if you you can go back it's to Scream it gives you the cheat code for like oh this is what's happening you know? Yeah, you know what to expect. And like the more that you watch horror movies, the, the more true it rings and the more that you pick up on the commentary on horror movies that isn't just the explicit, these are the rules in a horror movie, like very, you know, spoon feeding you. There's also a lot of, um, you know, lines and archetypes and characters that are also commenting on those tropes. But at the same time, it is a horror movie. Like that's the thing, I watched it the first time when I was really young and didn't wasn't picking up on any of those things even like the most obvious spoon fed ones I was just like this is a legitimately scary movie <laughs> <laughs> like there's like nothing tongue-in-cheek about this nothing funny this is only straight horror and as much as now I like love it and laugh at it and appreciate it for all those tongue-in-cheek things it also uh I never don't like jump at least once you know what I mean like it's still is scary. Yeah, you like that makes me think about um, a good uh, movie for kids. Like, mm -hmm. not that this is, but when you watch like a good- uh, Fun for the whole family. <laughs> <laughs> you, like the parents are laughing too because, yeah. or the parents are invested in this story because it's a timeless tale where the mm -hmm. kids can still watch it and just get, and uh, on a surface level be like, okay, this works. Like, right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it's not a parody where like a like scary movies a parody, you know, and you're like laughing because yeah. it's making fun of. This is actually it is both. It's working on both levels simultaneously, which makes it great. Which is why I love it so much, and it's such like a, it's so rewarding as someone who like knows and loves horror films to watch it and get not only you know the wink and the nod that's being given but the wink and the nod from Wes Craven like he's like I you know what we do I know what you know the thing that we do <laughs> yeah it's pretty self-referential in that very in that much way. so yeah uh, Sam um, what's your yeah. relationship with horror films were you a big uh a, a gore, gory gore dude no I, I never liked um I never I mean you know I'd, I'd seen them all obviously growing up like the the slasher films um I sort of like uh horror movies when there's more of a tangible fear aspect. So I liked um, The Exorcist is probably, I would say my favorite because I don't know how I, how I categorize The Shining exactly. I mean, it's one of my favorite movies, but I don't, horror is like a tough, uh, it's a tough fit for me. I mean, I guess technically it is. Um, we were on a different podcast one time and Sammy named The Shining as like his, the first film that shaped him when he was a, like a child. <laughs> yeah, but you know what's funny about that is I talked to Gabe directly after and I was like, I was just talking out of my ass at that point. 
Yo, but Sammy, <laughs> I've seen pictures of you as like a little kid and you had like the same haircut as uh, Daniel from uh, The Shining. Yeah, the Dorothy Hamill. It's, uh, I had that haircut for the better part of my childhood. I just picture you with that haircut as like a seven-year-old watching it and being like, man, really makes you think. <laughs> I will, uh, when we post on Instagram, I'll post a picture of myself with my Dorothy Hamill haircut. Please. <laughs> You're welcome, world. Um, yeah, uh, so I, I mean, I, I liked, you know, those types of work. Candyman is still one of my favorites, obviously. We did that mm. on the podcast. <laughs> I wasn't there for that one. But, um, uh, and I guess... It, in, in terms of like the slasher, I mean, I saw all the, the you know, uh, Jason, Jason movies, Friday the 13th series. The first one was great. And then the, yeah. you know, it kind of lost me. Uh, but I did enjoy the Nightmare on Elm Street series much more. At least the first three were, I thought were, one and three specifically were awesome. Not yeah. at all, but it was like a smarter horror film. Here's, um, a, here's my anecdote for you on that, uh, Sam, mm -hmm. is... Uh, Shoot. I got a, we got a, so I, I'm old enough to have seen all of these, like when they came out, like mm -hmm. the, all of God, Wes Craven's super old, Nightmare dude. on Elm Streets. Yeah. And uh, we, my parents got a VHS player and my mom like let me go with my babysitter's uh, older daughter. So mm -hmm. like a 17 year old took like a six, seven year old me to the video <laughs> store. And I wanted to rent uh, like a Chuck Norris uh, like Invasion USA, like dudes mm -hmm. with guns on the cover. You were feeling super patriotic. Because <laughs> you know me, man. I've, I've always been a super patriot. And I, uh, and, and my mom was like, we call, I guess my mom was like, you can't rent anything that's like guns, no guns, because she was not patriotic. But uh, Nightmare on Elm Street part two no guns. was out. <laughs> not part one, but part two. And uh, she's like, oh, that's a fantasy movie about dreams, whatever. So uh, my very first Nightmare on Elm Street, not, the second one, which is definitely like not. the, the uh, psychosexual gay one. Yeah. Yep. And I had no idea what Freddy was about or any, I was like, is this what horror Oh is? my God, <laughs> just is no like context. Being, <laughs> being terrorized by a leather daddy gym teacher. <laughs> And, uh, and janitor freddie <laughs> right. slaughtering a bunch of kids at a pool party mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so uh so that warped me in the same way that the shining was sammy's first film definitely not my first film <laughs> the shining was the first film sammy ever saw yeah <laughs> would you guys lose respect for me if i told you that it was chitty chitty bang bang and not the shining at all <laughs> Because that's was probably, it a double feature? Or it was a double feature. Like back to back. Me and my grandma. <laughs> nice. Um, but uh, but Last Wes time Craven. She had a baby man. Set. Yeah. Uh, Wes Craven uh, brought this whole thing. You know, this is his film, and he's such a cool director. Um, I knew him from Nightmare on Elm Street and People mm -hmm. Under the Stairs, which mm -hmm. was like kind of my era. People Under the Stairs was like peak when I'm out there renting movies. But like as an adult, I went back and I saw that he like originated that sort of that gritty 70s style of horror that we don't do anymore at all, which was like Last House on the Left and The Hills Have Eyes. Right. And uh, yeah. And then. Well, so this is like the. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, the he did Last House on the Left and then didn't make another movie for five years because that was that's like a movie that people love to hate. Like it actually did super well in the box office and like got you know some a degree of critical acclaim, but it also is so that like gritty seventies horror that like people weren't like we're not used to and we're massively uncomfortable with <laughs> right. um because it is like the most uncomfortable movie it's really like scary in a way that you can't escape because it's just people um doing horrible things to each other like there's no degree of a um a monster or anything i was listening to a podcast where they were talking about this um in terms of halloween and why halloween was like such a crazy um and like groundbreaking horror film and it's because like it was a guy who just came into a suburban neighborhood versus you know the monster and the frankenstein and the vampire and the thing that you know isn't real um yeah but so he apparently Wes Craven like wanted to step away from that because people like really didn't want to fund his projects after Last House on the Left, even though it was successful because everyone was like, I don't want to like <laughs> get anywhere near anything like that. Um, and he kept trying to like move away from that and do dramas and stuff. And then Peter Locke, who uh, produced and acted in The Hills Have Eyes, was basically like, do what you're good at, do another horror movie, like just do a like straight cool horror movie, give me a script and I'll finance it basically. So Wes Craven like went to the New York Public Library, did some reading, stumbled upon the uh, legend of Sawney Bean, and that's where the uh, the Hills Have Eyes come from. It's based on that uh, Scottish legend of Sawney Bean. Yeah, and uh, both of those people forget that although both of those movies are really brutal, mm-hmm. they also have um, some I think like schlocky humor in them. Yeah. Uh, so he's not known for it, but Wes Craven like has a sense of humor. Yeah, this was right, like his first in... comedy, honestly. True, <laughs> 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 but like even fun. Last ha- House on the Left, which is like so brutal, and like I don't, you know, I don't really watch that movie, and I have a lot of, I have, but I have a lot of difficulty yeah. with it. And then I was like going back and watching clips when I was like doing research on Wes Craven for this. And like those, all that like gang of four murderers is like so goofy and has this like rapport and they're just like joking around. And like, there is a lot of humor in that movie. It just like, isn't what you remember and walk away with because then it gets so like horrible and brutal. But yeah, there's always a degree of humor in his films. Even Nightmare on Elm Street is goofy as fuck. The first one when he gets like noodle <laughs> arms and just chasing them down. <laughs> hallway with noodle arms and you're like what the fuck like it's so it's like even scarier because it's so goofy it's like uh, I don't know I always think of that noodle arm shot anytime I think of Nightmare on Elm Street yeah and I do think comedy and horror are like um they're cousins you know two peas in a pod yeah yeah they're they they're both about shocking you out of um the dream of whatever of what's normal what you think is normal right now Mm mm-hmm and both uh, elicit a a, um, a jarring response, where with a joke you're like, "Oh, I'm looking at the world in a new way," and in horror you're like, "Oh, I'm seeing what I'm really." It's showing you something that you avert your eyes from normally. Yeah, and it's it's like how it forces you to be like, "What 
about this is disturbing me and what about this is making me stay like what am I actually enjoying about this movie and the comedy aspect almost gives you like permission to endure the more like horrifying brutal parts of it yeah I hate the remakes of all of these films because they yeah <laughs> the, the comedy but they also I think they lack the heart like that these right Wes Craven even though he was making brutal films he seems like a guy who had a message Mm-hmm. It wasn't just, I want to show you something terrible. Well, even Last House on the Left, which is like so objectively showing you something terrible, is based on an Ingmar Bergman film. Like he is this like weirdly heady guy who like when you listen to him talk, like he has this kind of like air of a scholar about him. And then the movies that come out of him are just like so not what you would <laughs> expect. But everyone was like, oh, this you know, Cretan coming out with this movie. And he's like, it was just kind of a tribute to Ingmar Bergman. I didn't expect it to get that many views. <laughs> and the Nightmare on Elm Street was just raising awareness for um, sleep apnea trauma. Right. And, uh, <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> the real the real world of night terrors. Yeah, exactly. The very real world of the night terrors. The very real world of night terrors. And he got the real, not the dime store, the real Johnny Depp in on that one. Yeah. That's true. I'm glad you brought up uh, Nightmare on Elm Street because that was like, as an artist, he'd already b- played himself out in the 70s with uh, mm-hmm. Last House and Hills Have Eyes. Mm-hmm. And Nightmare on Elm Street created a totally new genre because it was the first film to break from sort of what was the boring slasher tropes. Yeah, the right. The slasher wasn't just like a mindless, you know, mute basically. And he had, you know, pitchy one-liners right and, and brain, it wasn't brain. just like there's a guy with a knife who kills because he wants to like there was right. you know a, a, a supernatural aspect as well as like an actual character with a backstory and real motivation even right. when scream came out like you know the killer being real people with motivations and a bit of a mystery and who done it to it was such a break from the formulaic slasher movies coming out at the time which again yeah. were just like there's a dude who's evil and sadistic let's see how creatively he can kill 10 women over the course of 90 minutes and that's right. the movie <laughs> <laughs> really good way to and put that's it the film <laughs> Joan, I, I, I watched all the uh nightmare the friday the 13th and mm-hmm. um i actually one of my first books that i ever read was uh i got at the safeway bookstore uh, safeway in georgetown on wisconsin Shout avenue out. Uh, in DC, because they used to sell uh, paperbacks at in the in the uh, sorry in the grocery stores, and I remember uh-huh. impulse grabbing the novelization of Friday the Thirteenth Part Three. Part Three. <laughs> and I Which reading was part, part Three as a book is crazy. <laughs> you can look it up. It's like seventy five dollars to get a copy of this on. Uh, I fucking Amazon bet. Yeah. eBay. But uh, but that was a template for like, okay, I'm gonna write a story. And I started writing like slasher stories. Whoa. And I had, uh, <laughs> and I would do, and I would uh, note the body counts of the first few films when they were played on Halloween uh-huh. uh, in DC on TV. Cause like these were all And they just on. go up more and more. Sure. As each movie goes. And creative kills were very important too. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, the guy's walking on his hands and Jason's going to ax him in the crotch. 
you know, or uh, right. the kids Which are they... love, they're going to get spearfished. Which is another thing, yeah, that, that they talk about in Scream, the, uh, you know, if you fuck your, it's done for you, which they broke with in Scream, which is pretty yeah. cool. But they, I mean, Scream 3 kind of sucks, but Scream 2 is actually pretty good. And they talk about, I love it because they talk about remakes, they talk about sequels. And in the same way that they're doing the same thing that they're kind of commenting on in the original Scream, you know, they're talking about how, you have to have a higher body count and like the kills have to be more creative and all of these uh, unspoken <laughs> rules of sequels and I'm like why sequels always ring so hollow is because you just have to like top the you know on paper aspects of the first film instead of actually <laughs> trying to like tell a story and create characters. Joan that's why now in hindsight my favorite uh -huh. sequels are Halloween Part uh, Three, Season mm -hmm. of the Witch, and Friday the Third, and Nightmare on Elm Street Part Two, because yeah, because those are interesting such, favorites. <laughs> because you're just they're trying to get so different from what the rest of Season the of the Witch is so funny. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, okay, we we gotta switch it up. We can't do the same thing again. Let's throw in some witches, just like completely unrelated that's the well, best uh let, let's hop you guys into, uh, are very the... well versed in horror movies it's <laughs> kind of incredible uh i had no friends for a long time <laughs> did you kill them yeah 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 <laughs> creatively you have no idea on a scale of one to ten how creative was your body count nine and a half i'd say wow that's pretty yeah. creative thank you <laughs> you're welcome thanks for sharing anytime go ahead gabe uh <laughs> let's do it let's get into scream i saw it in the movie theater um yeah right. <laughs> i did it i was too young to see sure. it in the movie theater but i you saw it in my it. friend Allie's basement it it's a good place cool. to see it though it is i mean i we gotta start with that opening scene right the drew barrymore scene yep. yeah casey's murder Casey's murder. Should have just let it go to voicemail. <laughs> or hung up and called 911. Like, yeah, even if of... they're not going to get there in time to save you, it'd be good to have them on the way. Instead you know? of playfully flirting. Like, who does that? It sounds well, like a Trump, Trump campaign robocaller, the voice. And <laughs> I think that, like, so this actually took a page out of a movie that I saw when I was younger that I loved. And it was it's called When a Stranger Calls. I don't know if either one of mm -hmm. you have ever seen that movie. For sure. Um, but it's incredible. And that was one of the scariest, um, still to this day, like one of the scariest aspects of that movie was the fact that he was, you know, the killer was inside the house and everything was done mm -hmm. via phone, which I thought was incredible. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's cool to see people bar. I mean, obviously stylistically, like you're going to borrow from other people the entire time you're making movies, especially within certain right. genres, because there's only so much, you know, you can create. Um, I don't know what my point was, but it just reminded me of that 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 film, which I thought was an incredible movie. It was one when, when a stranger calls to. I don't know if you guys had this, but I like remember hearing the story of when a stranger calls, like in elementary school and stuff, like as an urban legend. Like yeah. I didn't know that it was when the remake was coming out. I was like, whoa, they made a movie about like that's. It was always like a friend of a friend of a friend, the way that it was like told to me. It was like someone in the neighborhood that it had actually happened to. And then I was like, oh, it's a movie from 1979 that kids have just been like telling the plot of at 
each other for like 20 years because it's so scary. But it's such a a scary concept. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that reminds me of two things. The first is that uh, the, I, my favorite thing was going to video stores and looking at the illustrations on uh, movie boxes. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. also uh, before you were allowed to watch scary movies or rated R movies, there was always one kid in school who came from a broken home whose parents yeah, yeah, didn't yeah. watch anything. Mm-hmm. Like that kid with the cable box. And he would just tell his version of the of a movie was even better than yeah. the movie. It's like yeah. before I ever saw Nightmare on Elm Street, there was a kid who was like, you know, he was like, yo, you know, have you heard about Freddy? You know, Freddy was like a janitor that killed kids and like then these parents burned him alive and now he's like in your dreams and I was like oh my god like this is I know I remember on school buses to like field trips like that that exact kid being like (laughs) you seen Jeepers Creepers and just like (laughs) like start to finish just like telling me the plot and I'd be like wrapped you know in that phase where I was looking at the uh, covers but not really like watching those movies yet and there was always that kid who had watched them who you were like tell me about I had a I had a friend that slept over in third grade, and we watched um, one of the Nightmare on Elm Street's camera. Which one? I mean, my parents' marriage was definitely intact. So I don't know if you can really put the blame on them there. But my dad had to. Uh, they did show the... you The Shining as your first ever movie. So actually, it was Caligula. Now that I think about it. Um, in Faces of Death. Um, I think, uh, and my dad had to sit in the room with David, the, the, the kid that from my elementary school that slept over. And it was kind of hilarious because my dad was just like trying to be, you know, completely like make him feel better, but was kind of like making fun of him at the same time for being as like terrified as he was. Come to think of it, I've actually watched a lot of horror movies in the, my basement with friends and my dad was there. <laughs> so as the horror movie chaperone. He's yeah, like, basically. It's like, oh, you guys are going to watch Lawnmower Man again? I guess I have to sit in here with you. We watched Candyman. I better Man be here just in case. And Exorcist, I remember vividly both watching in my basement, which is such a great place to watch these movies. Sorry, I didn't mean to go off on a tangent. But, uh, but to get back to Casey's murder, mm-hmm. um, this is uh, the phone call. Mm-hmm. The phone call before <laughs> cell phones and caller ID you had to cold call people like i just remember cold calling people in high school you know you didn't you didn't screen calls yeah right well yeah you had no idea who was calling it could be important you got to pick it up you got to pick it up yeah star Star 69 sales rose like 70 percent after this movie did it really that's so funny which makes total sense and caller id people didn't have it yeah yeah um the phone was was a a very different tool it could be weaponized back then (laughs) I know in our house, we were always not supposed to pick up the phone and our like aunts and uncles and our parents and everyone just like knew um, like the first half of all uh, answering machine like messages were always like, hey, is anyone home? It's me. Like it's this per-. like you wouldn't pick up the phone until they started leaving a message and told you who it was. That's so crazy. Picking wow. up the phone and being on the phone than with someone who you don't know who they are, what their intentions are. Haha, <laughs> that's so different that my, I was the uh, designated secretary. Really? So <laughs> I had to pick up every call and then decide uh, what degree of lying I had to provide <laughs> to uh, to screen my parents from bill collectors, friends they didn't want that's to talk so to. That's so funny. Coworkers, and then also getting the random prank call and like pervert that would call and hear my voice yeah. and be like immediately like, go into a uh, NC-17 tirade. 
Ooh, so, you know, yeah. You just, I just watching this, I was like, oh yeah, this is life. Yeah. This was growing up. Was so a little like, bit of a traumatic past with the phone game. <laughs> well, now I don't listen to voicemails and I only communicate via text message and, and GIF. Yeah. Somebody the other day was like, yeah, hey, I left you yeah. a voicemail. You didn't check it. And I was like, you did what now? They're like, what? <laughs> they have them. Yeah, dude. My it's dad. My, 2005. Phones, phones like, I, iPhones like transcribe your voicemails now. So you don't even have, they know that you don't even want to listen to them. So you can just like read them. They'll just transcribe them for you. They do Smart. a really bad job. Like my dad left me a voicemail the other day and I just went to read the transcription and it was like, hello, John, I hope that you're doing drugs. <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> 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 I was like, I don't think that's what he said. <laughs> it is though. Yeah. Um, Casey's murder. I know. <laughs> uh, tangents, what? Tangents. How cool? So Drew Barrymore is the same age in this movie as the rest of the cast. Yet yeah. because I've known her since ET, she she seemed like she an seems old lady. So much older. Yeah, you're like, right? what is this adult woman doing in this teen film? <laughs> She's also I mean, definitely, she, definitely the biggest name, and they kill her in the first ten minutes, which she, is like she aged very rapidly. I mean, she had like a full-on drug habit by the age of like six. That's true. That'll age you. This is, I'm going to say that this is, I think, the most important part of this movie was the fact that she was initially cast as Nev Campbell's character mm -hmm. and then thought that she would, she thought it would be more effective if she, be, being with the biggest name in the movie, I guess, at that point, obviously, by far, uh, if she was killed off, it would have more of an effect and get, put the, keep the audience on its toes, I guess. But I think in a weird way, that kind of paved the way for what we see now in prestige television, where especially in you know limited series or, or longer running series, you can kill important kill characters character. off. Yeah. yeah, and it just you know adds to the suspense and the overall. And like, she's huge on like the movie poster for Scream. She's like uh, the second biggest char character. You know, yeah. like I think people went into that the movie theater expecting a film starring Drew Barrymore. So it really was shocking that she got oofed in the first, like, I mean, she was, of the movie. I think it led a lot to like how, how this film was like sort of like loved critically, especially yeah, people really sure. appreciated the fact that they could kill the biggest star in the film and mm -hmm. within the first 15 minutes of the movie. Right. Um, yeah. and that keep was it going. like a uh, deep blue sea did the same thing <laughs> with uh, Sam Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> oh right, yeah, it's true. So uh, in nineteen ninety nine, so yeah. yeah, Sopranos took a page out of that playbook. That's funny. Um, but it was uh, it's cool. Like Drew Barrymore and her death also feels inconsequential. Like it takes up the first twelve minutes of the movie. But uh, yeah. why, you know, the reason for her to be murdered is, uh, I don't know, still vague, and it's almost like forgot. Like she's kind of forgotten. Well, they're also like, I mean, I, this is, I think a lot of what the film is commenting on too, is the criticism of, you know, adults and stuff that these horror movies are like desensitizing our children and our, like they touch a lot about how like horror movies are desensitizing this generation and making them all heartless and stuff and play on that and the fact that like all the kids at school are like, or, she got gutted that's crazy <laughs> like <laughs> just totally heartless and uh kind of unfazed by it like 
all the kids are just running around the school wearing the ghost face mask and like somebody's like look at them it's like fucking christmas like everybody's just having a great time with it that's a good point yeah thank you <laughs> I mean, you're welcome i think there's also zero emotional attachment to anybody in this film so it didn't really matter i mean to me at least well, like the Sydney is the only one who seems to like be having an emotional experience for a lot of the it's time. True. And like, which I think is also, I mean, her character like goes through a lot of things and comments on a lot of, but she's, you know, she's very much the conscience who is like, why are people, why are they doing this? Why are people laughing at this? And, but then it's like made to apologize for it. Like she has a line, I think that's like, no, no, it, like, it's not your fault. Like, I'm sorry, I'm being so selfish with all my post-traumatic stress and stuff. <laughs> like, <laughs> she's, like, the only character who, like, is, like, has a conscience and a uh, emotional journey and is, like, always made to feel crazy for it, which is pretty funny. Yeah, that's a theme in this is sort of, like, uh, you can watch this movie as a perfect example of, like, gaslighting. Yeah. You know, so much so it's like she's in a different movie than everybody else. <laughs> she keeps being like, am I, you can see her, I mean, very much, I think a comment on like women feeling like they have to and should apologize for everything, but you keep seeing her being like, am I being unreasonable? And it's like, what? No, your mother and everyone else around you is getting murdered. You should be upset. <laughs> Do you think that yeah. these types of movies are, are, are like almost handpicked to scare suburbanites? Yeah. Because I feel like they don't take place <laughs> in urban areas very often. Like Candyman was the exception, which made it so much scarier, the fact that it took place in a right. housing project in Chicago. And then like, I guess technically the exorcist took place in our hometown or in DC, that didn't really, right. that was sort of, you know, didn't really matter where it took place, but it just seems like these are like, you know, you're never alone. You're never like a mile away from your next house in the city. So I feel like it, they target like certain, a certain demographic to, you know, go and after. I feel like, well, I feel like that demographic already thinks that the city is like the scary place and like the big bad city and that's where crime happens and we yeah, live right. in a safe neighborhood where we can keep our doors unlocked and you know what we're I was touching on with Halloween and like how much more that scared people because it's coming into their safe comfortable right. spaces like we um, we might have muggings but we don't have disembowelments so right the city. yeah it's all that like the the you know the evils inside the house it's like right the, the, the rot in your own community not this like big bad right know, or, or literally or in your safe place crime. yeah 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 that's that's a, yeah exactly. I also think that um, the Rose McGowan death scene. I don't know uh, how much experience people have with um, garage doors. <laughs> Definitely wouldn't have supported her uh, all the way up and killed her. I I've walked I into young, one and broken it before. Literally walked in by accident. <laughs> so the I, fact that I she was, was lifted. Thought that that was the scariest death. Like it freaked me out so much. And then as I got older, I was like that wouldn't happen probably no. but even she like she's sydney's best friend and she's there the whole time and like up until the time that the dude like takes out a knife and starts like attacking her she's like acting like it's a joke and thinks that somebody is just like playing a prank on her right but then she kicks right in a high gear and starts like throwing chucking beer bottles at him like i love that about this movie too that it's the girls aren't just like cowering and screaming in a corner like they Sydney like 
kicks him in the groin at one point like they really do get some hits in and stuff and remind you that like there is just a dude underneath the mask yeah just like a regular dude they basically turn yeah. the murderer into like one of the home alone robbers it's like, these, like, <laughs> yeah cartoonish hijinks like he gets flipped and he makes like silly faces it's, it's, it's yeah. ridiculous yeah i mean that's why this film works on two levels both as a com it works as comedy especially when you yeah. know where things are going and the 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 way it's cut and the way ghostface moves is so it, it I, is. I know his little like cocking his head sideways it's like a dog when you like handed yeah. a treat and it just yeah also michael myers did the exact same thing that was like his his yeah, mo but... like he would look and then just kind of not which is creepy for some yeah. weird reason <laughs> We actually called my friend's dog Michael Myers when we were younger because it did that all the time. It would just stop and then you're like this. And then like, What's wrong, boy? And it's just like, anyway. And uh, I loved, uh, another scene that I loved was the uh, fountain. Like this, this uh, the, mm -hmm. I call it the fountain scene, but it's like when it's um, Matthew Before Lillard. I, that's when I first realized that he was the star of this movie. <laughs> it was When he gives like this speech about disemboweling people like hunting. yeah <laughs> yeah well also i thought uh, this movie is so clean like these are it's a shot in the daylight the fountain scene mm -hmm. is a scene that i could see from my from high school it's like two couples yeah. and like the fifth wheel like jamie Kennedy's yep. character <laughs> and they're all just like um you know just it, it felt real i guess and then also matthew yeah. lillard is so flippantly funny I love Matthew Lillard in general, but also so much in this movie. And then like when he has his meltdown at the end, it's so good. <laughs> He's like, my parents are gonna be so mad at me. <laughs> Completely like oh, delusional. Yeah, just out of his fucking mind. I read this one um, like essay that was like the 20th, um, it was some like looking back on Scream article and it was like Scream is a queer horror film and this and, like was like it is groundbreaking in a queer horror film because the writer apparently which I didn't know uh, was an out gay man and obviously there weren't a lot of out gay men writing horror films at the time but also it's all about the, the piece at least is all about like Stu and Billy's relationship and how it like goes really deep into how it is like this homoerotic friendship and I'm I'm honestly on board like their physicality throughout the film after like you know that they're the killers they're like very you know touchy and all over each other in that scene in the video store which I also love when uh Randy is talking to Stu and being like it's Billy Billy's the killer and then he turns around and Billy's there and Matthew Lillard's kind of like holding him in place and like <laughs> tickling Billy at the same time. Yeah. And it's like super homoerotic. I was gonna say there was like, that felt very homoerotic to me and like that yeah. in specific scene every time. Matthew Lillard's character, especially. Yeah, um, he's so like, you know. Touchy-feely, yeah. sticks his tongue out all the time, which he did also, this is our he second does, Matthew Lillard, yeah. Lillard vehicle. We did a SLC bunk, he very much played a similar character in the, <laughs> the beginning. The same character, yeah. Oh my God, I love him so much. Uh, he might be a little bit more alpha in SLC punk. In this, he he's, the, he's the sidekick. Um, Specifically which, the sidekick, yeah. And, and maybe he's in love with, uh, with Billy more than Billy. That's Billy's always what I kind him. of, yeah, thought because well, I think the article said this as well, but like Billy is the one who ultimately does have a motive as 
fucking yeah. cassette. I guess it is. But, uh, you know, Stu is literally seemingly just doing it because Billy is telling him to. And uh, their real life analogs to this would be like the Columbine killers. Right. You know, and then also mm-hmm. uh, back in the day, there were uh, two thrill killers, Leopold and Loeb. Mm-hmm. And um, their real life uh, crime exploits were kind of replicated on film, but with, um, with uh, Hitchcock's rope. Right. You know, and so the mm-hmm. idea of like uh, partner killers working in tandem, they're going to have different motivations for why they're doing it. And there's always going to be one leader, you know, mm-hmm. who's kind of like, it's like a Batman and Robin situation. <laughs> but the worst kind. <laughs> <laughs> so weird. I actually thought about the fact that this movie was kind of predated a lot of, or at least the televised or, you know, school shootings this mm. was two or three years before columbine i think right and um the, the one but in oregon very much I was in is school. that yeah that like teen boys toxic masculinity wanting to like make a name for themselves type of yeah it helped probably perpetuate some of what's yeah. going on maybe maybe i mean it's unfair to blame art right, right, right. for anything but you know right they you get the idea from to... somewhere <laughs> I think Wes just needed to come up with a cool twist, you know, like right. <laughs> Friday the 13th, you got a mom uh, in the first one and then uh, it becomes Which Jason. gets a shout out in the first, uh, in the Casey <laughs> scene of this film. He's like, who's the killer on Friday 13th? And she thinks she's got it. And he's like, ah. Yeah, and, and this works on so many more levels than a, a regular slasher because like you brought up earlier, Joan, it's a whodunit. So mm-hmm. it's got that clue. It could be clue. We're watching a murder mystery, but we're also right. watching a thriller. Uh, we're also watching a teen drama. It's also a comedy. <laughs> you know, which so like I oh this gets me every single time. I always because I love the opening scene of this movie, and I always forget that the next scene is Billy slipping into Sydney's bedroom, and yeah. it. I don't know what it sounds like a boys to men song like some like cheesy 90s pop song comes on and he's like talking about wanting to like do over the shirt stuff and it's like what do we just watch somebody get disemboweled what movie is this (laughs) and I think that like that's part of the humor is when they like pop back into like now it's a 90s teen (laughs) rom-com it's like what wasn't there like a cover of Hotel California playing when they or, or making out in the is beginning. That? I think it was yeah, that song. Yeah, maybe it's it's an insane song to cut to after the first. Year. I think it also reminded yeah. me of "Don't Fear the Reaper." Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. no, that's what it was. It was "Don't Fear yeah, the Reaper." Yeah, it was "Don't Fear the Reaper." Sorry, there you so, go. So, uh, also, Billy's creepy the whole time and uh, pressuring the to have time. sex with somebody that's like every moment. He's like, "Oh, was there just a murder? How about now? How about we have?" Sex? I know, and he's like. He's- He's like, when are you going to get over your mom being brutally murdered a year ago and have sex with me? And she's like, you're right, you're right. <laughs> that was crazy to think about. How ridiculous totally that crazy. whole thing was. Well, there also is that scene right after they have that like confrontation in the hallway at school that she gets attacked by the killer in the school bathroom. And then like, just no one ever talks about it. She just like gets away ridiculous. and then like... I'm like, wait, what? The killer's in the school, and we never 
no one ever follows up on that. <laughs> like, yeah, and then and then they just what? and then he just murders the Fonz, which is like he murders the where, Fonz. Where does that even come from? And then um, uh, Wes Craven himself is dressed as Freddy as the janitor when the Fonz hears oh, that something was... and looks out in the hallway. That's Wes Craven just in the yeah. Freddy sweater being the grumpy janitor, like one of the more uh, on the nose references. Yeah, and then what is like Henry Winkler was like, it's okay, nothing, nothing, nothing to see, Fred. He calls him Fred. Yeah, he calls him is, Fred. You know, I mean, it obviously wasn't sort of being subtle about no. self-referential <laughs> behavior. No. Also, I, Linda Blair makes a cameo, which I didn't know until recently. Oh, really? Yeah, she's that, which is so funny because the second I saw her picture from it, I knew exactly who she was. She's there for one second, but she's it's this crazy moment where she's a reporter and Sydney's going into the school and she's like, what does it feel like to be almost ripped apart? And then Sydney like ignores her and walks away. Oh, and wow. she's like, I didn't notice people want to know, they have a right to know. And like this crazy, <laughs> like crazy news reporter scream. And that's Linda Blair from The Exorcist, obviously. It's funny because I don't even, like when it comes to Billy, I'll just keep calling him Skeet for whatever yeah. reason. Yeah, he, he is Skeet. <laughs> Yeah, actually, he's never. He looks anything, like but, such a skeet. <laughs> I mean, they didn't even really hide. I mean, obviously, once you know who it is, but it's mm -hmm. like he—they kind of just told you who it was almost immediately. But um, they do—they like do the red herring thing, right? Because they say, like, sure. they quote unquote eliminate him as a suspect and then kill him, right? Again, quote unquote. I also love how he continuously asks, "He's like, you don't still believe that I did it, do you?" And she's like, I was just talking about plants or like Saturday. <laughs> and he's like, she's like, why are you asking me? Love, right when he quote unquote gets killed and he's like, oh my God, do you think I still did it? And then yeah. the killer is right behind him. And she's like, oh my God, oh my God. She takes like Killing 30 seconds crazy, before right? she's like, Billy, look out. But she just like kind yeah. of stands there and like considers for like, 30 seconds before telling him that the killer's right behind him, which always uh, gets me. Yeah, they have no chemistry um, because he's such a creep. He because is he's a really fucking creep. creepy, yeah. <laughs> you can tell he's supposed to be like this dreamboat and she's like, I should like you and I just don't. You're just a fucking creep. He's oh, the, the writer also, Kevin Williamson, the uh, writer of this film I was talking about, also ended up writing... Dawson's Creek, which is uh, so funny to think about, about all of these moments of like just 90s teen drama. Uh, and then he just went on to do only yeah, that's, that. That's fly. It like makes perfect sense. Yeah, that doesn't seem like a strange pivot at all. <laughs> so you just yeah, take away the uh, just, weird like, murder, away the murder and, besides and that, like overtly intense sexual pressure. Right? That's right. <laughs> Like, I love, right, I love how fresh and clean and like Noxzema commercial, the aesthetics of this <laughs> film are. Yeah. Particularly with like the wardrobe, uh, the sunshine, the setting and the, but wardrobe is so I, good. I'm okay with it and I tolerate it when I usually like grittier horror films is because of the, um, how knowing it is. And mm -hmm. like the children of this movie like the the movies that came after this that kind of took the formula or the aesthetic without taking the heart were like mm -hmm. I know what you did last summer and Final Destination yeah which kind of have this right. like cleanness that but, like uh, daytime clean right 
might be. I thought I Know What You Did Last Summer was just a sequel to this. Like, that's how little I, attention <laughs> I paid to this, like, genre bending. I mean, it basically is. Yeah, right? Just like Freddie, they just subbed out Freddie Prince Jr. for, or, for Skeet, <laughs> or Lillard, or basically. a Lillard, or Lillard type. <laughs> your Lillard, your, your Lillard type. Oh, man, that's funny. I actually so like Final Destination. So good. So which one, the outfits? Yeah, just uh, Rose McGowan's outfits the whole time. Yeah. Like, so that skirt with like the target on her butt and her it's like Harley like, Quinn crop top jersey. Yeah, it is. Suburban Harley Quinn. Quinn. Also, they dressed um, Courtney Cox's character to look like April O'Neil, which was the reporter from the Teenage Mutant Ninja yes. Turtles. Yeah. Like, that yellow, that yellow like outfit. Neon shoulder <laughs> pads. <laughs> so you can see her from space. Oh man, we haven't even talked about her yet. Her and David Arquette fell in yeah. love on this set. Oh, that's yeah. true, right? Their chemistry, yeah. They're so cute. Yeah, they stayed together for quite a while and had a child together. Yeah, yeah. And they, they, the two of them are like the two characters besides Sydney who are in every, every sequel. I think they're in all four movies. I think if they remade this, which there's no reason to, uh, Charlie yeah. Day would be a great yeah. uh, uh, Deputy Dewey. He would be a great Deputy Dewey. <laughs> I mean, to completely take a left turn back to talking about like the weird sexual pressure from him the whole time. Like it does feel like they are following those rules, right? That Randy lays out uh, because the whole thing she's like you've watched too many horror films and they're very clearly trying to set up their spree like the horror films that they like know and love and want Sydney to oh, have sex so they can kill her um which like that is such a trope of all of these teen slasher movies is like a very heavy-handed commentary on like sin like if you're drinking and smoking and having sex you're the one who gets murdered in all of these movies and the fact that like Sydney did have sex and then like kicked ass and lived is actually like super monumental in this genre because that yeah, yeah. was pretty much a hard and fast rule. And like, that's why Jamie Lee went on to, you know, do, try to do more serious films where like she did nudity and stuff because she was held up as like this pristine like the virginal queen girl <laughs> in all of these horror movies she was yeah. always you know that quote-unquote good girl well you, so you say almost... that and i immediately think of like a pile of dismembered bodies and on top of it a virgin mary <laughs> with jamie <laughs> lee's face on it <laughs> that's the art <laughs> i mean that's basically the 70s <laughs> like that's what was happening yeah. yeah. And it's weird that. because a lot of these uh, directors were like pretty progressive people, the writers, mm -hmm. the, you know, I think of them as um, not on the side of like puritanical morality, but they're making these movies no. that can be interpreted um, as very puritanical. Yeah, which is like, which is interesting. I was uh, listening to a Wes Craven interview and he was talking about like how the images coming out of Vietnam you know, inspired the like horrible images he included in um, Last House on the Left and was very much like a call to, you know, pay attention. You can't just like tune that horror out because it's not happening here. And like, it very much is uh, happening here, but yeah, they all fell into that trope so 
much and I think often like you know poking fun at the puritanical views but also very much reinforcing them and you know Sharni Vincent and your next and all of these kind of like imperfect messy final girls who are like you know having sex and doing drugs and being full people and then also being the badass survivor at the end of the horror movie is like the best yeah yeah i don't it's... think uh, do you think sydney will ever have sex again though <laughs> uh no well she has like a hot boyfriend in the sequel but then by the fourth one, she's like living alone in the woods being like a trauma hotline operator. Like she's There's... not okay. <laughs> There's three of them? There's four of them. Four? Wow. There's like the original trilogy and then like 10 years after the third one, they did the fourth one, which I actually liked. Hmm. The, the fourth one, the third one is absolutely out. They go way over the top with the meta thing. It's totally out of hand. But the sequel, like, plays on a lot of tropes of horror movie sequels. And then the fourth one plays a lot on the, you know, remaking horror movies, but which by that point, like, I mean, you don't even realize it, but like most horror movies that come out nowadays are remakes of horror movies from the seventies and eighties, like all of them. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the best place to look if you want to make a horror movie is just read Grimm's fairy tales mm -hmm. and then uh, update that. <laughs> put it in Greenpoint. Update Brooklyn. that. Throw it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Man. So what? What? I, this is an off. I mean, I guess not necessarily off topic. But what's your favorite? <laughs> what's your favorite horror movie? Either of you two? Probably Scream. I love Scream? this movie. Uh, yeah. I mean, it is. You know, it is also a comedy and a commentary <laughs> on horror movies. But I, yeah, I love this movie. It's it's the one I go back to and watch every. Halloween and it's definitely not you know the scariest or the most like strictly defined horror film but it's mm. yeah it just has so much heart I love it so much and this one you could see I mean definitely spawned um like the Saw franchise in a way because of like the gameplay aspect of it in the beginning right and then the movie that I saw years later uh was Last Cabin in the Woods which was sort of a genre cabin in the woods yeah. yeah oh sorry was that yeah the cabin in the woods um which i thought was kind of yeah. smart until the very end which i thought was when the hand comes up i know yeah. but i i love cabin in the woods too and that comes up a lot in articles talking about scream and how it influenced the genre yeah um because it is one that like right on the one hand the regular horror movie is going on and on the other hand there's this whole like well what's happening behind the scenes and flipping that genre on its head which i love I really like that movie. Yeah, I thought yeah. it was smart. Gabe? It's a, I think, I mean, I like Cabin in the Woods. I think that Scream does it better in that Scream mm -hmm. is more genuinely scary and Cabin feels more cartoonishly, it feels more funny. But it's, that's a, that's Cabin just taste really in that I'm, I, yeah. I want a little bit more horror than, uh, than humor. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, Cabin in the Woods like steps a little further away from like the being the thing it's parodying and the way that Scream does like so perfectly. It seemed more political in a way. <laughs> yeah, also that. This, um, uh, but both like you brought up earlier that like, well, I'll get to your question about my favorite horror movie, but I think about like you brought up earlier, Joan, about Sydney kind of being in another movie. And mm -hmm. that made me think of the Truman Show. It's like, she's a real yeah. person and she's just in a horror movie. 
you know? Yeah. And she's like, no oh, one, everyone's that. operating in horror movie rules except for her. Right, and, and she it's she on the phone in the beginning is like, oh, horror movies are dumb and insulting. It's always like some girl running up the stairs and she should be going out the front door. And she's <laughs> like... <laughs> and uh, so she runs directly up the stairs the first time she's well, chased. Well, the door is locked. She does try the front door. Oh, that's true. Or like, she was actually outside of the front door. She was right? outside. She comes in right. and locks it and then he comes out of the closet. It just shows fight or flight, man. You can't really... <laughs> You can't you right. can't critique someone's uh, death strokes. Yeah, I love that game. And uh, Cabin in the Woods has that. It's more like you get this crew of kids who are now Truman showed into yeah. a fabricated reality where right. all of the uh, tropes of horror are dropped in on them. Yeah. Whereas you know, so it it or like I literally somebody is pulling the strings and making a horror movie happen to them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so there's more of a right God. down to like making them horny by like releasing pheromones and stuff. <laughs> Smart. that's the best way to do that <laughs> but i think uh my favorite i mean there's so many uh and it depends on the genre but dawn uh dawn of the dead the original is probably really good. the one i watched the most um when they're in the mall yeah late call late high school early college it because it just struck all of these things that I was really concerned with or interested in at the time, like the rise of SWAT teams, uh, like over policing, it still is relevant. The fact that there's like a race war in the projects mm -hmm. at the beginning of the film, uh, yeah. the um, white flight and escape from the urban centers to like bullshit mall culture, which was yeah. all big at the time. And yet, and it's funny but it's still um, gory and it it feels gritty where it's like, so I liked that film so much because it just mm -hmm. resonated with like topics that I was thinking about at the time. And it, there are like, the, you know, very differently than Scream, but there are like the moments of them just like running around the mall and like shopping and stuff. And you have the moments with the characters that's not like straight horror the whole time. So when the horror happens, it's like you care. Yeah, Which like there's a, a lot of horror movies don't do well. <laughs> there's the uh, homoerotic friendship between the two SWAT team guys. <laughs> Gotta have it. <laughs> there's also like pregnancy is an issue. And like, what do you, mm -hmm. how do you deal with like, what would it be like to have uh, kids in this world? Um, they're just the breakdown of society. And mm -hmm. I think it's like a relevant movie to watch today based on where we're at. Like it's, it's held For up. Sure. Damn, I'm gonna go rewatch that movie. <laughs> and it's cartoony like you can watch it as a little yeah. kid and there's a lot of adventure in it during final thoughts on uh scream this is a chance to just get get it all out well i sammy you're the one who hasn't seen it just like what not having seen it and watching it fresh what was your like overall takeaway opinion of it i'm curious i mean i I have I have trouble defining it as a horror movie. It just seemed yeah. really kind of campy and hilarious to me. And like, yeah. Again, you know, it. I think it's. I mean, it's it's groundbreaking in the sense that it just pokes fun at its own, you know, existence, which I think is mm -hmm. awesome. So I think it's it, it was fun to watch. I mean, I didn't, you know. It's it's tough to call it a horror. For, that's just my take. But I mean, then again, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. If I saw it twenty years ago, it would probably be a different. Well, I don't know. It's tough to say, but I mean, I, 
I think it's 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 a it's fun to watch in that sense, and it's like a it's like a great tutorial for someone who's never seen a horror movie to like watch it and just understand like the whole concept behind like how the tropes work. And I yeah, thought, I mean, done by allowed. a horror master whose movies that I really enjoyed growing up. Yeah, it kind of allows people who maybe aren't like huge horror fans to uh, kind of step in and adopt the nostalgia that people have for horror movies. It like kind of, it breaks it down for, for you and explains to you why people love these movies and exactly. why they're so silly and ridiculous, but you know, we love them and you don't have to have seen a million horror movies to be like, oh, okay, like I get it, you know? I mean, you're like the case study for that too, because you saw it at 11 and it just shaped your love of horror movies. Like yeah. Calig Caligula shaped my need for dominance. <laughs> no but that's so yeah it's so true because i the more horror movies i watch the more mm -hmm. true all of these this commentary and scream rang and the more in on the joke i felt and it totally did uh shape my love of horror movies so like my favorite there you go it's important it's an important laughable horror movie yeah that's kind of that's that's it's my a, opinion on film. it. It's a film. Sorry, a film. It's an important film. <laughs> I <laughs> I think so, man. This movie holds up for me, uh, and it's a horror movie that you can watch even if you haven't seen any other horror movies, uh, and you don't know what it's referencing. It still works on the uh, on that basic fundamental level as a good storytelling and a good thriller. It's also a mm -hmm. great time capsule for the aesthetics of like the mid nineties yeah. uh, through late nineties, like teen. So it, it, I think, yeah, it fits into like exactly the Dawson's Creek aesthetic. And yeah. uh, even like American It combines Pie. the campiness of like that time and that aesthetic with like the horror movie campiness you love to just be like this campy romp that I, that's just like candy. It's so good. Yeah, and, and like the fact that Wes Craven, who'd already been in the game for like 20 years, was able to uh, tap into the zeitgeist of the moment like that uh, shows that he he was still like an, an artist at the top of his game. Master of his craft. That, that to me works. It, it works in the realm of like a thriller and a slasher. And I think about how um, many people I know dismissed horror as a genre and mm -hmm. him being able to breathe life into it like this allowed not only for shitty horror movies, like I Know What You Did Last Summer, but also, uh, which I mean, it's fine if people like it, but it also like, there's all of these horror movies that go back and look at his older work and do it well, like um, It Follows, I think, and uh, House of the so Devil good. Yeah. and Cabin Fever are all movies that work because um, a film like Scream reinvented horror. Yeah, and looked at itself and looked at the genre. And if you look at all of that like list of films that we were talking about coming out in 1996 and all the ones before that, it's so formulaic and shitty and exploitative and boring. And then Scream came out and, you know, looked at and poked fun at the genre and also totally reinvented it and gave people permission and curiosity about doing the genre in a different new and exciting way in a way that I think totally paves the way for you know it follows cabin in the woods all sorts of good creative new horror films yeah so this movie gets uh for me it gets a uh eight out of ten um, okay. uh 
uh, eight out of ten dead uh, camera operators on the hood of a van. Eight? You gave it an oh, eight? We didn't game? even talk about Kenny. Oh, by the way, yeah, I didn't realize that was the same guy from There's Something About Mary. He played the brother. Yeah. Didn't also, I am still noticing things in this movie and just two little things to look out for for anyone who's like going to go back and rewatch. One is that in the movie uh, store scene where Randy is like kind of accosted by Bill and um, Billy and Stu, when Randy's just like talking about, I think Billy's the killer and stuff. There's just this extra in the background, this woman who's an extra who is like very clearly listening in on the whole conversation <laughs> yeah, and totally. reacting and it's <laughs> hilarious and I know like she's just face react and she eventually like shakes her head and walks away and it's so funny and the other thing is that Kenny when he dies when he gets his like throat, throat sliced open he turns around and I never thought about this before but like why does Sydney know that there's like a little doggy exit in the back of that van right like Kenny <laughs> as he's falling and dying like points to it and like leads her there and helps her escape like as he's bleeding out his neck see kenny he didn't oh, i love when Ghostface can't get out and he just pounds his hand on the i know he's just like frustrated curses <laughs> Rat, yeah. gabe you gave it an eight out of ten yeah yeah i i mean it yeah i mean i i think it, it's like something you should definitely watch and i i i would give it i'll say seven seven out of ten uh garage door related deaths because I think ultimately like it's just tough to tough to see it as a horror movie for me for, for, for whatever reason but that's the only that's the only issue that I have but I'm also old and jaded so there we go right you, you can't divorce it from the nostalgia like I obviously have so much nostalgia exactly. about this movie so I like hearing you know what people who have just watched it think I'm uh, dating somebody and I just made him watch it because if you're in my life you have to watch this movie and at the end of it I was like what did you think and he said I'm happy that there that something exists that makes you so happy <laughs> that is the best way to answer that Yo, diplomatically that guy should be a US ambassador <laughs> that's the most diplomatic answer that's actually a, like, a perfect that, response like, okay Fair I like enough. it because you like it exactly so uh yeah but i mean <laughs> it's it's 10 out of 10 skeetle riches for me i can't get enough of it, I, love it. <laughs> I mean there it is there yeah. it is well uh thank you uh joan where can people find you just at joan blacken uh i'm the only joan under the age of 73 in the contiguous united states so easy <laughs> to find on social media uh and uh yeah thanks so much for having me guys so much yeah. thanks so much for doing it it was awesome yeah, thank you yeah. thank you so much uh once again this is gabe pacheco and you can find me at gabepacheco.com and please rate review and subscribe to eat pray judge all right thank you Stop.